0: CliffCentral.com. You are now listening to the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. Thanks for tuning in. I'm joined in studio by my my very silly co-hosts who are laughing about something. Gashel Brooks and Greg Nicholson. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Kingsley. Good guys. Serious bit... times in the country, man. We can't be laughing, man. This is this is <laughs> hectic times,
1: man. No, indeed. Um, <laughs> but of course, that's not why I'm laughing. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing, man?
0: <laughs> now I'm being silly, man. What I what I actually want to talk about today is. Is the is the relations between South Africa and the rest of the continent, uh, especially given the the, the the xenophobic violence we've seen over the past few weeks, and 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 how that's been playing out? Now, I was yeah. <laughs> I was I was reading over the weekend the press release from the from the Department of International Relations. I don't know if you guys have, have you guys had a chance to read that through?
1: Um, yeah, I've seen yeah? bits and pieces of it, or I've I've seen extracts of it where um, basically coming out and saying that this is an overreaction coming through from the Nigerian government. Um, which yeah, to some extent I yeah. would agree with, but I mean I think that in in the game of diplomacy, this is how things tend to to happen. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean I was reading through, and it, I mean it didn't it didn't read like your regular press statement like at all. Just quickly read through, and it says, "When eighty four of our citizens perished on Nigerian soil, we didn't blame the Nigerian government for the deaths." And then the last line, which Context. is, and this is the one that really like, like sort of blew me away, and it says, "We shall also continue to support and not blame the Nigerian government as it battles to deal with Boko Haram." We hope that the more than 200 girls kidnapped will someday be reunited with
1: their families. No, nah, it's a low, sh- like, it's a low blow. I mean, and I know it's
0: a bit, man, it's like.
1: It's ridiculous. I mean, uh, you know, the thing is, there's a big yeah. difference between xenophobia when, when citizens of a country yeah. go on the rampage and they're busy looting people's shops and killing people in the process, right? Versus one guy that sets up a church and the church collapses on people yeah. and kills those people in the process. I, I really, I don't think that you can assign blame to the Nigerian mm-hmm. government for what uh, TV Joshua's church had, had you know what had happened at TV Joshua's church.
2: What what though we might be able to assign blame to the mm. Nigerian government for is how long it took for, to get those bodies back. Yeah. I think that was one of the, the the things we had South African families waiting here for you know around 80, 80 bodies for months and months, and the South African government did not. They were actually sort of. Tiptoeing around this issue They didn't push the Nigerian government They didn't force them They didn't speak out strongly against them mm. They they cooperated and worked together To try and eventually bring those bodies back and it did take a ridiculous amount
0: of time No, absolutely I remember remember you and I talking about it When they sent Jeff Radebe over there To, to, to sort of personally mm. uh, uh, sort of represent the government And at least publicly It seemed like the South African government Was quite understanding in that situation
1: uh, Look, the thing is I, I, I do understand that and I, and I agree with you But I mean, within the diplomatic gate Yeah Right. And, and please remember what I said right at the beginning. I do think that this is an overreaction from, um, Nigeria on a diplomatic level. You don't necessarily have to withdraw an ambassador because of the situation. Because, yeah, maybe you want to say that you're not South Africa. You have, you, you, you've had the warnings. You know that there's high levels of xenophobia and Mm. acrimony towards foreign nationals Mm. and you haven't dealt with it efficiently. But to actually withdraw, an ambassador is a bit of, is a step too far. However, simultaneously, this press release and yeah. having our government pointing out the fact that yeah, you know, you this number of South Africans have died, and number two, uh, that yeah, well, we hope that you do something about about your wrong. own issues. It's, it's, it's pretty snide. I mean, it, it's yeah. unnecessary. It, it doesn't help. It doesn't help add any value to this mm. uh, diplomatic debate.
2: I think though, there are three things we need to point out. First of all. The, no, no, the, the Nigerian Foreign Minister, um, Aminu Wali, didn't recall their, their High Commissioner to South Africa. They they invited him back to Nigeria for discussions around these issues, around yeah. issues of xenophobia. So it's slightly less of a diplomatic snub, mm. even though it still is a very mm. significant move. Yeah. Second, it's important to also remember that this foreign minister in Nigeria is part of the outgoing government. Um, good luck, Jonathan's um government. So yeah. I'm not quite sure how that plays into it. But then it's, we have to remember that these ministers soon will change. Um, and the Nigerian foreign minister did also acknowledge President Zuma's comments that he condemned xenophobia in the country. But I think we're right. And we have to just put this into context and remember that the, the sort of tit for tat relations South Africa and Nigeria have had over the Mm. years, where we've seen, you know, those, what were you saying, Kings of the, the yellow fever plane? Yeah, I mean,
0: I mean, that's the, that's the first I remember of this, of this issue. I think it was 2011, no, 2012. And a plane, a plane from Nigeria was turned back at yeah. Wattambo. Mm. And they said, I think the official reason was the, uh, the yellow fever documents were seen to be falsified or something. Yeah, yeah. And they, they sent it so. back. And, and then Nigeria did the, did, did the same with another plane shortly after that. Yeah. And, <laughs> it, and, and it's been more difficult for yeah, South Africans to then, get yeah, visas exactly, to be traveling to exactly. Nigeria. Yeah. So there seems to be this. Yeah. Sorry, Greg. Then, then there was also the
2: South Africa really pushed on Costa Lumini Zuma to become chairperson of the oh, African Union. Yeah. And that was against Nigeria publicly yeah. declared their non-support yeah. of, of a South African leader because of this thing where South Africa is sort of seen as a bit of a bully, sort yeah. of forcing its own agenda on the continent... Mm-hmm. Often ignoring other countries' other countries' views, and then there was that crazy story that came out. I can't remember a couple of years ago or yeah. something like that, with that money that came through. I think through one of the banks and also in cash at land Syria. Now
0: I love this story. Please tell us well, break down what happened because I love this. I should have researched story. the so go, details, okay. but the
2: story goes yeah. something like that. Because of the arms embargoes in Nigeria and the, yeah. the difficulties for Nigeria to buy weapons to fight Boko Haram. Hmm. Um, they were trying to channel money through South Africa and see if they could buy arms for for their military efforts in in sort of regaining control of yeah. the northeast of Nigeria, and then the the way the money came into South Africa, bringing millions on a plane through land, Syria, and also through a, through a bank transfer, didn't quite follow the normal procedure, and it got caught up, you know, with with the South African authorities. Mm. And that money is still caught up and tied up with the South African authorities. And they haven't got, I think, I can't remember the exact figure. something like $20 million or something like that. They haven't got that back, that money. Yeah. Yet. And so there are all these different little things that, that amounts to this tit for tat relationship yeah. South Africa has with Nigeria. And, and the, the, the weekends incidents of this amb- of this high commissioner mm. being recalled for a conversation, not, not. Essentially withdrawn, being brought out for a, brought out for a conversation mm. back to Nigeria to talk about xenophobia, would have to say it's the low point of the relationship.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to just look at the timeline. So I, I think it it seems like the sort of yellow fever issue seemed to be sort of the, where this silliness started. We have this Lanceria cash issue, um and then now it's 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 sort of coming into the xenophobia the xenophobia conversation. Now, if I'm not wrong, the 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 president, also the presidency in Nigeria. Called the the South African High Commissioner In Nigeria to the presidency To explain on behalf of the government What mm-hmm. is going on Now all these things though They, they sound a bit silly Like come and explain mm. You're not being recalled You're being invited But I think in, in diplomatic channels These are actually like These, yeah, yeah. these, these things matter
1: Look, look Kingsley. I mean the one thing that we established Just before the show Is, is yeah. that I am a closet geek Right So one of the things As a closet geek that I used to do Was that I used to be a model UN coach and and if there's one thing mm. that you do, model UN, I mean, Security Council, yeah, does, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, simulated Security Council yeah. and General Assembly debate. Um, and if there's one thing that you need to do in the dip- diplomatic scene is always try to take the higher ground. Okay, Simple as that. You you do stick to your principles But you always try to, to uh, Stick to the higher ground So what do you mean by higher ground? Um to... That you should come off Having the moral imperative okay. That you should be You know seemingly Be the country okay. That is trying to extend The hand of free okay. uh, friendship So
0: regardless of what's happening You must appear to be The one who's saying that <laughs>
1: Exactly okay. Unless we talk about North Korea okay. uh, I mean it's what time
0: I imagine it's a bit different But in yeah. like regular di- diplomacy But
1: regular probably. diplomacy And yeah. in this instance I'm sorry But both these countries And yes. I do understand Obviously Nigeria and South Africa Are the two economic And political powerhouses mm. When it comes Mm. to the African Mm. continent They will clash, it's inevitable However, the way both of them are clashing um, It's as if whoever's in, in, in charge of international relations In both countries are amateurs at this?
0: Time. Yeah, it just seems like a pissing contest to be honest. It's it, just that's like, what turn Oh, up you're is. mad about our issues. Well, I hope you. I hope you get the girls that were kidnapped back. And that's such. I mean, I feel because, like that's such a horrible thing to say. Because
1: for me, like, for the life of me, I do not understand how you point out the fact that 84 South Africans died in your country and we didn't make a big deal about it. 200 of your girls have been kidnapped and shame. We hope that one. We day hope and come we'll back. support mm. you. Good luck with
0: that. These are the and you sign of off on that. Come on. Uh,
1: I'm sorry but then yeah. it's honestly it's it's the lowest blow that you can apart from obviously declaring war yeah, against like each all other which is yeah. Um the, the, these are some of the lowest tactics I've ever seen in on, on the international relations scene.
2: But but ongoing with this it does seem it's just a petty little sort of fight because it seems even the, even when Nigeria became Africa's biggest economy mm. after they rebased was, I think
0: last year on the rebased, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, oh, 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 rebased the rebased Yeah. GDP. A lot of
2: people, anyone who knows anything about this sort of stuff, knew that Nigeria was, was basically the yeah, biggest economy it was just a technicality. Anyway. Yeah, yeah a technicality. Because, because they hadn't yeah. rebased their GDP yeah. for so long. But now it seems to be that there's this little beef between South Africa and Nigeria because of this, you know, who wants to be number one sort of title and vying for the powerhouse. Um, the economic powerhouse and sort of vying for business interests, um, pushing to try and be the, be the number one sort of cultural dominator on the continent where you have, um, Nigeria with its Bollywood, um, Sorry, sorry, Nollywood. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) India's next week. (laughs) (laughs) And then South Africa pushing its DSTV across Mm. the continent. But in the end, I think for me, the worrying, the most worrying thing about this Petty These petty squabbles, and there are obviously points where both countries um, our diplomatic leaders, our state leaders, yeah. the business community, the arts and culture community cooperate there 's a lot of different points where there is cooperation absolutely, but what I worry about is that for Africa as and the different African nations to advance, we particularly need cooperation and and I think and I, and I think this really shows just how far we are from that
1: yeah, for sure for sure. Okay um if there's this is one final point that I want yeah. to raise is that in as much as you know this this bomb fight has ended up the way that it has uh the issue is is that it also it shows you what's going on within the African Union circles why the African Union has really been a lame duck for for most of its tenure, why it's unable to deal with these things. Because I think that the issues aren't being addressed. It's rather a clash of personalities rather than issues.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, that's something I'm concerned about is, you know, does the AU actually do anything? But we've got somebody a lot more knowledgeable on these things, Um, the know of all things Africa. Simon Allison, are you here with us?
3: I am here with you. Fantastic, fantastic.
0: (laughs) Man, we've just been talking about uh, the South African relations with the continent and especially Nigeria and that deteriorating relationship and I know you've written a bit about sort of how South Africa is being perceived currently we've seen cars with South African plates being stoned in Mozambique, we've heard some threats to boycott South African business and and, and South African music so is, is it fair to say there's a general trend of, of anti-South African sentiment around the continent? Yes it is fair
3: but what we need to realize is this is nothing new. It's not just because of this one bout of xenophobia mm. that we're having problems on the continent. Mm. This is historical. It goes back a long way. When I travel across Africa, mm. um, I frequently encounter negative perceptions of my country. I, I kind of feel the way an American must feel mm. when he goes traveling around the rest of the world. You yeah. know, we are perceived as the dominant power With all the negative connotations that implies, we're perceived as arrogant, we're perceived as presumptuous, we're perceived as uncaring of local traditions and cultures because we have the financial and diplomatic might to impose our will to, um, you know, to to get what we want on Mm. the African continent. And and that really has been the problem. And I think we we see it very obviously in the news coverage of the rest of Africa within South Africa, it's actually scandalous how little South African media covers the rest of the continent. Almost every single publication in the country gets its African coverage via foreign sources, such as AFP, Reuters, um, The Guardian newspaper, The Telegraph newspaper in London. Um, Even the journalists aren't giving Africa the attention it deserves.
2: Simon, so, mean, though it seems that we've hit a hit a particularly low point. You know, there's been protests outside certain South African um, embassies and commissions around the continent. Mm. We've seen what's happening with Nigeria bringing their um, high commissioner back for for conversations. Is this a particularly low point in in relations across the continent? And, I, and I've seen some columns from other other newspapers um, in different countries. And. And and it seems to <laughs> South Africa seems to be particularly up for criticism right now.
3: Absolutely, and, and and it's justified. You know, we are treating foreign nationals pretty appallingly, and and, and that's what is and, and that's the response we can expect. And I think it is to Africa's credit and to the credit of African countries, um, the ones that 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 have protested, that have taken diplomatic action, that they are actually willing to stand up and say, you know what, mm. this is not acceptable. Um, this is not a way that Africans should be treating each other. And you know what, instead of the South African government criticizing the protest, which is what they've been doing, um, they should be turning around and saying, you know what, guys, you're absolutely right to protest, mm. and we're sorry, and we're going to take immediate action to fix all this, rather than get very defensive. And I think in particular, you um, the South African reaction to Nigeria has been yeah. very interesting. So, what Nigeria has done is, is they have called back their ambassador and deputy ambassador for consultation. Now, in in their response, um, South Africa's Department of International Relations criticised Nigeria for recalling its ambassador. Now, that's mm. a very, very different thing. Um, Nigeria did not recall its ambassador, which is a you know it's a formal diplomatic yeah. process, yeah. and it effectively severs. Diplomatic ties between two countries. Nigeria didn't do that, but South Africa accused them of doing that. It, it was a sort of knee-jerk reaction, um, and expressed in you know, the statement itself was expressed in very childlike language. You know, it, it's almost like playground bullies exchanging insults. That's kind of what it reads like, and it's an indication mm-hmm. of the, I think, of the insecurities that uh, that South Africa faces on the continent. You know, we we know we are the superpower, but also we know we're not liked, and. Um, yeah, we, we we don't like that. that. I think is what we're finding out, and we really we don't know how to handle it either. We, we, our diplomats are not showing the, the tact and restraint that one would expect of diplomats anywhere in the world.
2: And so, Simon, we're seeing this, uh, we we're talking before about the sort of tit for tat response, um, between South Africa and Nigeria and other governments across the continent. But I'm interested in what it means for actual cooperation in terms of getting things done. Often when we have issues such as, you know, the, the girls, um, being kidnapped by Boko Haram or, um, certain, all sorts of issues across the continent, there's all these calls in, in the media and in the public for the African Union to intervene. I wonder about the future and the state of cooperation between African countries, given, given this climate of anim- animosity.
3: It's a good question. Um, and I also I overheard Gershwar talking about the, the failures of the African Union um, and, and how it's sort of a lame duck. And I'm actually going to take a different tack on, on that. I think given its resource constraints, it, it has no money. The African Union is mm. essentially bankrupt because African countries aren't paying for anything. Um, And given its institutional constraints, you know, it is composed of these member states that bicker and don't get along and don't, you know, agree on anything. Given all that, it actually punches well above its weight in terms of dealing with continental issues and a lot of good things that it does. You never see it. It just falls entirely under the radar. Um, Yet on these big issues, we aren't seeing enough of it. And I think that is because the big powers in Africa are not on the same page. So we're talking Kenya, Ethiopia, Nigeria, South Africa, Egypt, um, Algeria, and Morocco.
4: Mm.
3: And Morocco is not even a member of the African Union because we're, the, the AU recognizes Western Sahara. Now these big powers, you know between them they control more than half of the continent's GDP or something ridiculous like that, and they certainly wield the diplomatic class. They are not in the, on the same page. Nigeria and South Africa are constantly bickering. Um, Egypt and Ethiopia, are, their relations are very tense right now over that big dam that Ethiopia is building on the Nile. So what we're seeing is, is, until the the big powers in Africa kind of find a way to move forward in the same direction, the African Union itself, it, it, there's no way that, that it can force them to do so.
0: I mean, thanks for bringing that up. I mean, I'm I'm a big sort of AU doubter, so it's nice it's nice for somebody to sort of come <laughs> forward and say, listen. There is something happening because, I mean, as far as I was concerned, there's not much going on there. I mean, but, Simon, my, my big my final question on this is: this really about back to the Nigerian SA? I just want to be clear that at the end of the day, the relations are still there. The cons- the the SA High Commission in Nigeria, the Nigerian High Commission in SA, they're still open, they're still functioning, and and diplomatic relations still exist, and and it's still going strong. I, I wouldn't use word yeah. going
4: strong. Okay.
3: That, <laughs> uh, that's a little bit overboard, I okay. um, They still <laughs> exist, but it it is 10. Okay. And um, you know, even before the xenophobic stuff, there's a lot of issues going on. um, Particularly, um, visas is one big area that's a problem. Um, Nigerians trying to get visas for South Africa, and South Africans trying to get visas for Nigeria, and both both countries use Mm. the issuing of visas as a political weapon Mm. to try and um, prevent too many nationals from one coming into the other. also, if you look at um, the fight against Boko Haram in Nigeria and the alleged involvement of South African mercenaries there, that is another very serious issue. You know, you can understand Nigeria's frustration if there are South African nationals um, coming in with, with weapons and, and fighting on its soil. It's a, it's a very delicate thing, and, and, and we're not being that upfront with each other. There's also that uh, the problem last year of South Africa confiscating Tend with millions of dollars worth of cash, which was apparently intended for an arms deal, which Mm. South Africa also blocked. So at every avenue where these two countries could cooperate, they are choosing not to cooperate. Um, and, and, And that is very concerning for the continent's future. But having said that, yes, diplomatic relations still do exist. And there is still very close ties, particularly in the business sector between Nigeria and South Africa, and I think there's simply too much money tied up in those ties. And in, in South Africa, too many big players, you know, we're talking MTN, Standard Bank, ShopRite, etc. cetera, DSTZ. Um There's too much money, too much power for the government to really upset the apple cart and, and sever relations entirely.
0: Hmm. I mean, Simon, thanks for clearing that up. I think, I think it's something we'll be watching quite, quite closely. I, I mean... I can only imagine of the, of the continental implications of the, of the two economic powerhouses having a, a complete fallout. Um, so we'll keep watching that. Um, Simon, thanks so much for giving us that insight. Um, and will I'm sure we'll have you again soon. Yeah.
3: Thanks, King. Okay. Perfect.
0: Thanks so much, man. we just about to go into a break. Before that, I want to talk a bit about phones. Gashal, I can see your phone is falling apart, man. So you'll be, you'll be interested <laughs> to hear this. <laughs> It's Cliff Central's first birthday on the 1st of May and we'll be giving out a ton, ton, ton of smartphones. And you can win just by listening out for the question and submitting your answer on WeChat. Just tap connect, then competition on the menu. Um, we'll be giving away a Samsung Galaxy X- S4 and and the question is to spot the odd one out. And the, the list is Chloé Mboya, Gareth Armstrong, and Trevor Gumbi. You need to spot the odd one out. You need to answer on WeChat's and you could win a Samsung S4.
2: And I think we just have to emphasize that yeah. you have to answer on WeChat, yeah. not Twitter, not Facebook. Get WeChat and please, answer that way. If I you please, win we phone. keep
0: getting so many answers. So please, please, Don't please. Oh, I mean, you can do that, but you you would get a phone. Answer. We'll be back right up. You might this. get a date though. <laughs> it has been locked away from the
3: eyes of the world, chained, never to be released. But now it wants to get out. Stay tuned to Clef Central weekdays to find out how you can unleash the Jeep Renegade. Find hidden codes and videos posted by Jeep SA and you could win Jeep Renegade prizes. As well as become the person to single-handedly unleash the Jeep Renegade upon the shores of South Africa. Are you Renegade enough?
0: I'm a Renegade, I just hit the ground running.
3: Visit unleashrenegade.co.za to find out.
0: And, and now tuned in to the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. Welcome back. Um, just a quick reminder, we're giving away a Samsung S4 during the show. Please just type your answer in on WeChat. Um, the question is to spot the odd one out. And the options are Khloob Mboya, Gareth Armstrong, Trevor Gumby. And you need to spot the odd one out and you can win a Samsung S4. Um, Guys, I just want to pick up on on what we were discussing just before we went on to the break. Um, there's this whole narrative that so many countries supported South Africa during the, the struggle for democracy. And actually, the song we led in with at the start of the show was a Nigerian song pushing for democracy, democracy in South Africa. Mm. Um, so I always wonder, is it is it fair to go to South Africa and be like, hey, we really supported you. Now you guys owe us. Is that fair? Or is it you know is, is that actually fair you, I, you supported somebody out of your sort of moral decision mm. is it fair to always bring that up and be like guys we supported you the only reason you're free is because of us is
1: that, is that fair can I come in there because yeah. you know this is what I find absolutely fascinating yeah. um, about that argument Is is that I don't think that foreign nationals that come to South Africa are thinking that we gave them support, and therefore you have and to let me in. At the border, right. say you have to let me in. So, so let's look at. I mean, yeah. some of the – you know, because obviously we also have this debate around who are the people, uh, you know, entering yeah. South Africa. Yeah. We have Chinese, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Ethiopian, Somali uh, people. People, they don't necessarily have a direct, direct link with uh, struggle stalwarts okay. that, that, that went and sought refuge in those countries. Mm, mm. It's a global phenomenon, for goodness sake. If you're living in a country that's pretty crappy, yeah. you're going to look for a country that, has a, a, you know, that gives you better opportunity. Yeah. It's as simple as, as that. That is why people from Central America and South America are trying to make it into the U.S. That is why 900 people drowned in the Mediterranean, leaving Northern Africa for Italy, for goodness sake so so for me this whole argument that keeps on coming up that yeah but guys you know uh, you you know we once upon a time you helped us out but now we inundated it it's it's for me it's one of those narratives and believe me kings they've been inundated with this stuff okay. there's a list of of reasons why south africans keep on using uh, they, they, they keep on using to to justify xenophobia, and one of those is the fact that just because once upon a time sixty, you know, a few thousand of us were in your country is seeking refuge, doesn't mean now we need to be inundated, and the borders are open in the world. Oh, so you're one hearing one. it
0: used by South Africans to say, "Hey yeah. guys, we don't owe you forever." Oh, that's exactly, okay. exactly. So, okay. uh
1: I don't know. For me, it's it's just it's not. I mean, I don't think that the average Malawian person that's that's trying to irk out a living in in downtown Joburg is going to say that once upon a time it's trying to cash guys,
0: in on a debt and say, "Hey, you owe me Islam must come through. Sorry, right. Greg. But, but
1: I do think, I agree with you,
2: Gashua, well, that the average South African person, the exile offered and the, the funds, um, given in support of yeah. ANC and yes. other liberation movements mm. isn't a prominent things in their mind these days when they, when they mm. think about how we will treat foreigners in this country. Because it's too distant for your average South African. It's too, it's too far removed. Most people weren't in exile and and, exactly. and and even even the exile period was you know was decades ago now and,
4: and,
0: so, it, was, so and it was by definition so, happening somewhere else do you know that, what i mean if right. you weren't so, there you did not witness the so it for so it is hard is, yeah. it is
2: hard for your average south african I don't, I don't think that's worth appealing to your average south african mm. worth saying it's not worth saying well it's worth saying but i don't think people are going to respond to the yeah. call don't be xenophobic because because um these countries governments supported us in mm. in our liberation mm. struggle but I do think there is a moral imp- imperative from the state of South Africa to recognise okay. the, the support offered by these other governments. When the, when the state is dealing with these instances in terms of protecting foreign nationals, and I think all foreign nationals, we should, we should respond and protect them just because they're human beings, not because necessarily their governments or their, uh, or their political parties or their people supported, mm. of our liberation movement. But first of all, it should be because we need to protect other human beings and the right to life and human dignity. Yeah. But I think the state should, should be propelled into recognizing these things even earlier and like it should be, it should just be an extra reason to treat, to treat foreign nationals as, as human beings and as people. When you can recognize that, hey, we were in this fight together, this fight that got us here, yeah. we're in it together. And I think that should propel them to, to take action and and defend the rights of, of other Africans and other nationalities in South Africa sooner.
1: You see, the thing for me about it, Greg, is that it's always difficult to, uh, to measure the moral imperative. Yeah. It, it's virtually impossible. Mm. Because with the moral imper- imperative, you're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Right now, the U.N. This, uh, and, and, you know, all these other wonderful international institutions have put together all these various treaties and things that we had to sign on to, which says that this is how you need to deal with. Uh, this is how you need to deal with uh, foreign nationals that come into your country, whether, you know, immigration laws, people that seek refuge and all of those other things. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, South Africa signed on to these things and largely we compliant with them. But mm. the biggest disconnect, especially with xenophobia and xenophobia that is fueled by um, a belief that, look, here you are taking away or you're robbing me of my economic opportunity. Obviously, it is the responsibility of government to start communicating these things to people, to make them understand that we can't just build a wall and say to Zimbabweans, you can't enter this country anymore. Mm. We we can't. I mean, if someone enters the country illegally and they say, I'm here seeking refuge, I can't. I couldn't just get a, a visa or passport and say, yeah, guys, I'm I'm, I'm coming illegally um, because I'm seeking, I'm, I'm running for, for my life because of the political situation. Um, that that message needs to be translated to ordinary people, and it's not happening.
0: Absolutely, gashal I mean, that's something I want to ask sort of our, our, our next interviewee we about. Uh, we're talking to Professor Achil Mbembe from the WITS Institute of Social and Economic Research, the WISER Institute. Professor, how are you today? Hello, Professor, are you here with us?
5: Yes,
0: hello. Oh, fantastic. How are you today?
5: Uh, Yes, I'm doing very well. Thank you.
0: Good, good. Thank you for coming on. Now, Professor, you you spoke last week at an event and you said something I found quite interesting. You said South Africa must remember or rethink what the Africa in its name stands for. What do you mean by that?
5: I mean, uh, we all have in mind uh, uh, all that is going on right now.
4: Mm
5: -hmm. Um, We have borders that were basically carved out by... Uh, Europeans in 1884, uh, those borders have not been dismantled. Uh, so nobody is saying that we should be uh, traveling to other countries illegally. Nobody is in favor of illegal immigration.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, these things happen. Um, we are not in favor neither of killing people just because they are foreigners. Um, so some solution has to be found in the spirit of opening up uh, Africa to itself so that uh, we become a power uh, in the world in which we live in. Because as long as we are fragmented, as long as we make one step forward, two steps backward, uh, the world won't stick us seriously. And this applies not only to South Africa, but to the entire continent.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's that's interesting. I know I know we've we've also just been talking about how not only the plight of Africans, of foreign Africans in in, in South Africa, but also around the world and, and with the with the, with the immigrants traveling across the Mediterranean into no, Europe. and mean, the, plight the, of the, the Yeah,
5: it it applies to uh, black people yeah. in the world. As we speak, Baltimore in the U.S. is burning. Hmm. Uh, black people are killed by the police in America yeah. almost on a, a, a regular basis. Uh, black people are unwelcome almost everywhere in the world. So we have a particular responsibility to turn our own continent, which is colossal, which is immense, which is full of wealth and riches, to turn it into a peaceful place where to be black will no longer be a liability. I really believe that that is what the times we live in,
1: are calling us for Prof if I can ask you I mean uh, something that I find very interesting as part of the the, the debate and the narrative um, amongst activists in this space right now against xenophobia is what you just mentioned right at the beginning of the conversation this idea that borders are artificial they weren 't there in existence, someone else made this decision, and now uh, we're happy to to reinforce those colonial uh, ideas and those notions but I mean, for the average South African in their minds, um, you know, a Zimbabwean, a Malawian, an Ethiopian, a Pakistani is here to take away their economic opportunity. Do, would ordinary people on the ground, does, does this debate actually matter to them?
5: No, it has to matter because, you know what, their survival depends on um, borders being spaces of exchange and encounter. The survival of the poorest South African depends on MTN, Standard Bank, APSA, FNB, ShopRite, and all those big companies investing in Nigeria, in Zimbabwe, in Mozambique, making lots of money there, repatriating that money here, paying taxes, so that the state, for instance, can sustain the huge bill on social grants. All those things are interconnected. Mm. Of course, I mean, we cannot be uh, advocating illegal migration Mm. because those who migrate illegally always end up paying a really heavy price for their uh, existence in a place where they are not welcome. Mm. But South Africa cannot turn into a new pariah state. It cannot isolate itself from the rest of the continent because you will pay a heavier price than any other country. After all, the rest of the continent is the second major destination of South African investment.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: So, so those things have to be uh, uh, considered carefully. And leaders, responsible people, cannot be making irresponsible statements. Mm.
0: I mean, I, I hear you, Prof. I think, I mean, what worries what me is that, I mean, since the, the 50s and, 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 and way back then with Kwame Nkrumah and, and and some of those other liberation leaders, we've we've been trying to push for Pan-Africanism and talk about it and, and make it a reality. But, but I mean, from how things are looking now, it doesn't seem like we've made too much progress. I mean, so what are we getting wrong? What, what, what do we need to do differently?
5: You see, we have made some progress. Um, we do have a continental public sphere. The African Union is pushing forward. <laughs> uh, uh, with a whole variety of, of projects. We just have to be steadfast. Uh, I think that, uh, first of all, we have to, to say that if there is one single African country in the world everybody wants to see succeed, it's South African. Mm. The goodwill is immense. We shouldn't be uh, wasting it. We should really be very careful deal with this matter uh, humanely and uh, contribute, therefore, in promoting uh, the project of African liberation, without which nobody will respect black people in the world. People won't respect black South Africans alone. They will respect black people if Africa can stand on its own feet. And that's what the work we we, we are called upon to to be doing. And once again, nobody should be advocating illegal migration. If we have to move towards an Africa without border, this has to be done responsibly and collectively. Mm. South Africa cannot open its borders alone. Uh, We have to do it in a phased, managed manner.
1: Uh, prof i mean i accept everything that you're saying there and then and, and uh, you know i i just listen to what you're saying and i'm thinking of the disconnect between what you're saying and versus what government is saying and versus what ordinary people on the ground are saying the 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 type yeah. of person that would say that i'm being robbed of economic opportunity that our borders are wide open uh that these are the problems that we have and then on top of that we have a government that's not willing to speak to its citizenry um in real and hard facts we have people mm-hmm. that are resistant to using terms like xenophobia we yes, have people you know we have uh, butabilad lamini for example throwing uh, a fit at at in mm-hmm. at Supingo because the EFF has, has helped out with blankets and, and and mattresses so do you understand what I'm saying is is that i'm worried that this debate and and what you're saying which i think is the correct approach is only limited to a particular circle. And the people that really matter, the people that should be implementing this, government and ordinary people on the ground, are not listening to these voices. How do we start getting what you're saying to ordinary folks so that we don't see the scenes that we saw in the last three weeks?
5: You absolutely I agree with your characterization. I think that the, uh, the South African government has to come clean on this matter. One understands that the government is under pressure on the one hand, from its own people who mm. are crying for change. Yeah. Wherever you go today, especially among black communities, people are asking for change, and they want it now. Um, on, the, on the other hand, the government has commitment with the, re- the rest of the continent. Mm. The government knows very well that we cannot be killing foreigners here without this having implications for our investments in Nigeria, for instance, without this having implications for our investments in mining in Guinea-Conakry or in Mali. Uh, So what the government is trying to do is, it is trying to speak a double language. It has to stop doing that. It has to come clean Mm. on what are the stakes. We are likely to pay more for the disorders that are going on than other countries. As far as the people are concerned,
4: mm.
5: there's nothing to be done except educating them.
4: Mm. We
5: have to educate the people and we have to attend to the cry for transformation in matters of jobs, uh, on matters of education, health care. That is how people will stop scapegoating other people. Right now, there are no jobs to be stolen. Mm. Even if we expel all the foreigners, it won't mean that there are jobs waiting for us out there to go and and, and take. We we can take the the, the goods, but goods only last for a week or something like that. Mm. They only last for for a long time. So so education is absolutely important. We won't do without educating the people.
1: But Prof, I mean, especially in in, in light of what we're seeing in South Africa, where there is a uh, not necessarily just a failure, but a shortcoming at times in terms of what government has promised and in terms of what it's delivering when it comes to service delivery. Doesn't it become politically expedient for a government to latch onto the narrative on the ground? Oh, they they, do
5: that everywhere. They do that everywhere in France, in in Scandinavia. When they fail they, uh, uh, they, they, they uh, use these uh, phony mechanisms to make sure that the anger is not directed at them, exactly. but it's directed at some some other scapegoat. So in that matter, I mean, South Africa is not exceptional. But one would expect a bit more from a government of a country mm. that has known the violence of discrimination and segregation for so long. There is a responsibility when the world has helped you to break the chains of oppression to not fall into uh, the kind of uh, repetition of what uh, was inflicted upon you in the way in which you inflicted upon a weaker than yourself. Mm-hmm. But as I have been saying, this doesn't mean that South Africa is, should become a land of illegal migration. But mm. the migrants who are here legally should be protected. Mm. They should be protected, and they should try to integrate in the society. I believe, for instance, that all Somali uh, shopkeepers
4: mm. or
5: who own shops in townships should learn to speak the local language, for instance. And many are already doing that. They should mm. integrate, they should become part of those communities, and give back something to the community. That's how they will be uh, uh, protected by the people they, they serve in the very places where, where they work. Mm. So a lot of things can be done. We need strong leadership, principled leadership, mm. to make sure that we do not become once again the shame of, of, of the world.
0: Um, absolutely, it Professor. Doesn't,
5: it doesn't help us, our standing in the world, when the world sees black people being killed on the street by other black people just because they they don't belong here.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much Professor for that insight. I really hope the government you know hears you and and we start moving in that direction. We we just have to
5: to make sure that I mean the government hears and then and then we get out of this, this mess.
0: Absolutely, I mean, thanks to people like you. Just keep doing the work you do, and 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 hopefully we'll, you know, start moving forward. Thank you, Professor. Thank, That's all thanks, the time. Thanks for. Thank so
5: you so much. Thank you. Bye.
0: Fantastic. Now, I mean, Greg, I know we we only have you know so much time left, but I'm just I'm just curious about the state, you know, in in the townships and, and in 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 the CBD and in Hillbrow and Mafia right now. We we've seen that the army and, and heavy police presence in some areas, and the government uh, and the president actually has put out a statement saying that he's authorized military action until the end of June. So, I mean, does that mean that we're going to be seeing the army, you know, up and down the streets between now and June or, or, or what can we expect now on that front?
2: I wouldn't expect to see the army on the streets all the time and between now and June, yeah. but, but yeah, you, we can actually. Yeah. Um, so yesterday in, in areas such as Mayfair, Hillbrow, um, and the Johannesburg CBD, the army was deployed in an operation in collaboration with the police, um, in supporting the police. Largely the, those, those communities are known for the high number of foreign nationals that yeah. reside there and they conducted stop and search operations, and I think they arrested—I think it was fifty—foreign um, nationals who were didn't have the uh, the proper documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that followed two raids on on the Jeppy Men's Hostel, you know, just outside of downtown Johannesburg, and the Madala Hostel in Alexandra, which are often seen as hotspots for for violence and xenophobia, and they're largely symbols. I think that's what was happening. What we saw yesterday, okay. we saw. We saw the police with the army in support being being sent into these hostels, which have always been held up as symbols of sort of violence yeah. in South Africa, and, and and even if so, for example, the the Alexandra Hostel hasn't been particularly associated with um, the xenophobic violence. The Jeppe mm-hmm. Hostel did did make a number of threats and looted some stores and caused yeah. some caused some sort of chaos in that area. But I think what we saw was the government really trying to. Excuse me, the government really trying to send a message, um, to, to other African states and the world yeah, that, that South Africa and the state of South Africa does care about the, about foreign nationals in our country and we're willing to take divisive, decisive action. And, and I think, think the reason I say they were really trying to send a message is because, uh, they raided these hostiles with the media in tow. Yeah, yeah the uh, the media came in there filming everything and, and and I wasn't there, but I'd find it quite interesting to to sort of hear that conversation as to whether the media just sort of tagged along um, without any, um, without any uh, pushback from the police or or whether the media actually really forced their way in there and took their own risks to co- to come in there but But from the images mm-hmm. I saw, it looked like the media was a, an extra partner on the operation
1: yeah yeah and sort of following along
2: and 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 then so so after those large statements sent out to foreign countries mm-hmm. we've had i think what yesterday was was a statement to to south africa both both in, in in acknowledging and trying to do something about about the problem with with sort of sort of the migration issues we have here where there are a lot of undocumented migrants um in all sorts of situations and that's a concern for voters and so i think what the government and the police and everything was trying to do is just say hey we'll also care about that and and let's be honest, it is an issue. So personally, I find it very hard to see the police and the army on the streets of Hillbrow searching foreign nationals, yeah, yeah, for 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 their papers so soon as well after this xenophobic mm. violence. Yeah. Mm. It almost seems like the next day we turn the switch and actually, mm. no, we we do target these guys as a state. Mm. But mm. but but I think it's about it's about trying to acknowledge these different um, pressures on this issue.
0: I mean, absolutely. I mean, Greg, I mean, we will really keep coming back to you as you, as you follow this closely. Um, unfortunately, that's all the time we have, but just before we wrap up, we do have a winner for the Samsung S4. Mfundo Jlala, congratulations. You've won us yourself a new Samsung S4 courtesy of Cliff Central on our first birthday. Yay! <laughs> congratulations, man. Our team will be in touch with you so you can get your, your, your brand new phone. That's all the time we have. We'll see you next Tuesday, 1 to 2 p.m. on the Daily Maverick
5: Show.